1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, we see a devout Gentile man named Cornelius. God instructs him in a vision to seek out Simon Peter in Joppa. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 9, verse 42.
0: And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he carried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Can you imagine what that was like? To receive this woman to life once again. God is in the business of resurrecting dead things. He is in the business of resuscitating things that have died. It is not too hard for him. Where are you at today? Maybe with your marriage or maybe with a relationship with a child or a parent or a friend or maybe a work situation or maybe a a personal battle with sin or addiction. The enemy would come to you and he would tell you, it's done, it's over, it's too late. You'll never change. You'll never beat this. You'll always be this way. It's who you are. It's who you've made to be. You've, You've messed up your life. It's over. Trust me. I already know the phrases because I've heard them myself. You'll never change. You'll never get it right. Well, God specializes in raising the dead. So even if it's past time and even if it's past hope and even if it looks like all hope is gone and you'll never change, well, guess what? He brings dead things back to life, amen? I'm so glad that God is a God who raises the dead. Well, Peter here, it mentions that he stays in Joppa. It was known throughout all Joppa and many believe in the Lord. So people got saved. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Now, Joppa and Lydda had semi-Gentile populations. So it's possible that, remember, Paul spent, Saul at the time spent 15 days alone with Peter, right? Is it possible that during those 15 days with Saul, it gave Peter some things to think about? Peter, I've been leading Gentiles to the Lord. I mean, Peter's like, I don't hear nothing. I don't hear nothing. (laughs) But here he is in these semi Gentile cities, places that generally he would not go. And when combined with God's work in Samaria, is it a wonder then that we find Peter staying with a man who had a profession that would make him perpetually unclean? He stays with Simon, a tanner. You know what a tanner does? He deals with dead animals. And then he takes their skins and he makes things from them. A famous rabbi said, it is impossible for the world to do without tanners, but woe to him who is a tanner. In Peter's day, a Jewish woman could actually cancel her engagement if she discovered her husband was a tanner. And here's Peter staying not one, but many days. Only one barrier remains for the former fisherman, Gentiles, chapter 10. Now, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Here we meet this Gentile centurion named Cornelius. Caesarea was the administrative center of the Roman province of Judea. Pontius Pilate, Felix, and Festus, all governors of Judea in the Bible, they lived there. Herod the Great built the city, and he named it after Augustus Caesar because there is no good southern port in Judea. He was a centurion. Every centurion we find in the Bible is painted in a positive light. It doesn't mean all centurions were good, but it's interesting to me. A centurion was a leader of 100 soldiers. Each legion had 10 bands and 60 centuries. Each band had 600 soldiers. So he was under this band of 600 soldiers that were known as the Italian band, which means they were from Rome. There were two contingents that would do this. One would usually stay at home in Rome, and the other one would be abroad at times. And so Cornelius is probably not from this area, but he has been stationed here for a while with his band of 600 soldiers, of which he is one of their six leaders. And it mentions here that he was a devout man, and word there means to be religious or devoted to a deity, But then it qualifies it by saying he was one that feared God with all his house. This shows that Cornelius' devotion was to the God of Israel, as well as his entire family. His entire family had a devotion to the God of Israel. In verse 22, Luke is going to call him a just man, a phrase that was used for Gentile seekers who were known as proselytes of the gate. These would be Gentiles who were believers in Jehovah God, but who had not been circumcised or baptized yet, and thus would be considered outside the umbrella of Judaism. They could go to the synagogue, but they were not considered Jews, were not considered saved, and therefore could not worship in the temple. That's who this guy is. He's a devout believer in the one true God. And yet he is not accepted by the Jewish community, even though he has a good reputation with them. For it mentions here that he gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. So, like Tabitha, he performed acts of mercy to those who were in need, and he was a devout man of prayer. Specifically, the word here for prayer, or that he prayed, it means to ask God things with urgency. This was a man who was continually seeking God. And as such, he had Old Testament faith for salvation, even though he wasn't a Jew. And so God hears his prayers and sends someone to tell him about Jesus. Verse 3, and he saw in a vision evidently or clearly about the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. our time, of the day, he saw clearly an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And so verse 4 says, when he looked on him, he stared at him, he sees this angel and this angel goes, hey, Cornelius. And he's like, what? <laughs> Isn't it funny? We ask God for things in prayer. And then he finally does it. And we're like, wait a minute. Hold on. God, we want you to move. Not this fast. And as he stared on him, it says he was afraid. He was terrified. And he said, what is it, Lord? Isn't that neat, though? He recognizes that it's God's messenger. He's not some pagan who was nice to Jews. He's a believer in the one true God. And that genuine faith displayed itself in his actions and his prayer life, which ascended like the smoke of an offering and it caught the God of heaven's ear. And so he says, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. And so now send men to Joppa. And call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you must do. Now, that's fascinating. The angel's right there. Why doesn't he tell him the good news about Jesus? I mean, it sounds to me like it would save Peter a whole trudge up to this guy's place. And it's going to be kind of shaky at first because Roman soldiers, when they show up to ask for you and you're a Jew, is not exactly a popular experience especially when your Lord has told you the last time you saw him, hey, Peter, you know, there's gonna come a day when people are gonna take you where you don't wanna go and they're gonna make you do something you don't wanna do. And the Bible says he said this to him because it was foretelling of his death. That's always been playing around in Peter's mind. We always say, Why well, if I just knew the future, if it just God would write it in the stars. Really? I don't know if Peter appreciated that. Because <laughs> you can tell by his reaction. Really? That's what's going to happen to me, Lord? Uh, What about him? (laughs) Read it in John 21. That's what he says. What about that guy? (laughs) I can always imagine when John and Peter got together. So, you think it'll be tomorrow? I don't know when I'm going. In fact, he said, if I tarry until he comes back, what's that to you, Peter? (laughs) Too bad you know. Why didn't the angel tell him? Because God has chosen us and the foolishness of preaching to be the method whereby people get saved, us crack pots, right? That's what it says. It's a little bit of a mistranslation. It says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, clay pots, that He has used. The foolishness of preaching, First Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-one, Paul the apostle speaking to the Corinthians. Says this, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Think about that for a moment. You, in God's wisdom, have been chosen for this task. You've been chosen for this task. To go and to tell the world the good news about Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. Just a few books to the left. In Luke 14, in verse 16, Jesus is telling a parable. He said, a certain man made a great supper and he bade or invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were invited, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have brought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray you, have me excused. Another said, well, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. That must have been some wife. (laughs) So the servant came, and he showed the Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. And bring in here the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you've commanded. And yet there is still room. And so the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Let me tell you something. God wants his house to be full. He wants his house to be full. The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He says, my soul takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked repent and turn from his wicked ways and be forgiven, be restored and find life. He came to the nation of Israel and he saw them dying in their blood. And he said, oh, why will you die? God wants people to repent. God wants to fill this house. Wouldn't it be awesome if we didn't have enough seats to hold the people we're here because we had a ton of people getting saved? That's not going to happen without us. God has chosen us to this task to go out and to preach the gospel, the foolishness of preaching. They don't want to hear what I have to say. You're probably right. But it doesn't matter because God, by his spirit, is preparing their heart and working on them. You don't know where they're at. You don't know what they're going through. Who do you think is too far gone to be invited? The maimed, the crippled, the halt, the blind. No, they're too far. They'll never listen to what God has to say. Never listen to what I have to say. Let's not leave anyone out in our invitation. Let's go out into the highways and the byways and the hedges and compel them to come in. That's our job. Now, real quickly, one of the reasons that we know the church won't be around in the tribulation period is because we see angels tasked with preaching the everlasting gospel to the world before they take the mark of the beast and forfeit salvation. God has made it very clear that that's our job. And if you see angels doing it, then it means we're not there anymore. Now, Peter, it mentions here that he was staying in this home of Simon the Tanner. And so it is said back here in Acts that the angel tells him he is lodging with this one Simon a Tanner who's staying by the seaside, which is interesting because it means that this home was outside the city. He was not with the rest of the Jews. He was outcast and rejected living by the sea. And yet he knew the Lord. God went and found him. In the same way that we need to go and find those who have been rejected by the world, those who are lost Now, verse seven, when the angel which spoke unto Cornelius, I love this, was departed, he called two of his household servants. That's a really bad translation. The word they're called means to cry out to someone who's at a distance. He's praying. He's seeking God. The angel comes on the scene and says, Cornelius? And he's like, what do you need, Lord? He says, you need to go and send word to this guy named Peter and tell him to come. And he'll tell you what you need to do. He doesn't even get up. He goes, hey, Jim, Bob, let's go. (laughs) He immediately does exactly what God says. No hesitation, no waiting. And so it says he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. Isn't this cool? Not only was Cornelius a believer in the one true God, but he brought others to faith as well. The Gentile who wasn't considered to be a part of the family of God was doing what the Jews had refused to do. He was being light, being light. When he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. Now on the next day or the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew near into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So Peter, he goes up on the roof to pray, but what he really wanted was to eat. (laughs) You ever been that way before? God's telling you something spiritual. Like, what I really want to do is this right now. I really want to see FSU get beat by Miami tonight. That didn't happen. That's why you should always go pray. (laughs) It seldom works out like you want. He goes up to pray about noon, so it's hot. It's right about lunchtime, and he became very hungry. He wanted, he longed to eat. The word would have means he really longed for something to eat. And it's possible that this hunger was distracting him as he smelt the savory dishes being prepared below. Either way, we see a spiritual natural man in conflict, a conflict that the church had to resolve as well if they're going to really go into all the world and tell people about Jesus. They had to get over their natural man and go with the spiritual thing that God wanted them to do, which is preach to the Gentiles. Let me ask you, what natural conflict keeps you from sharing the gospel with others? A personality conflict with someone at work or in your family, a culture conflict, a race conflict? an age conflict, maybe a past experience you've had. If you and I are to be the witness God intends, all those barriers have to come down. We need to be a church that embraces everybody, that our church is desiring to bring them in. Do you think that homosexuals and lesbians are beyond the gospel? Do they freak you out so much that you don't want to go out and tell them about the love of Christ, the God who died for them on a cross? We went ice skating down at Winter Park the other day, uh, Friday night, and we had a blast. And there were two guys came through holding hands, you know? They were giggling and acting all girly and stuff and everything, you know? And of course, that's not my struggle. So in my constitution, I'm just like, that's kind of gross. But it's no more gross than my struggles with pride or whatever it might be that I'm going through. Losing my temper with my kids. And if Christ can redeem me, then he can redeem them. We cannot ever let something go, I don't know. I mean, he acted kind of funky. She acted kind of funky. Couldn't tell if it was a guy or a girl. You know what? Jesus, he preached the gospel to people that were totally cast off in that day. There was a few times Jesus got angry, but one of those times when there was this gentleman who was so sick, an individual that people wouldn't touch, wouldn't hang out with, the idea he had the dropsy. That doesn't sound good. You got the dropsy. That doesn't sound good any way you shake it. Without even knowing what it is, that doesn't sound good. And it was one of those things where someone who had the dropsy was an individual that you stayed away from. They were unclean. You didn't want to catch it. You didn't touch them. And there he was. Jesus is sitting next to him at a dinner. And everybody's watching him to see if he'll heal him. And the Bible says that Jesus became angry. Because they didn't care about this man. They didn't care about his lost condition. They didn't care about his need. And it makes a specific mention that he touched him. He wrapped his arms around him and he touched him. I still remember the time when Pastor Chuck shared that someone came up to him and said, and this was in the 80s when AIDS was kind of just first getting out there. And they came up to him and said, I need prayer, I have AIDS. And Chuck just reached up to him, put his hand on him and prayed for him. He touched him. And a dear friend of mine who came from a homosexual background. And he said to me, and he said, Will, one of the things that always ministered to me about you is you never treated me any different. You'd hug me, you'd, you'd, you'd touch me, you'd joke with me, you'd laugh with me. You treated me with kindness and love. You made me feel like a man. I can't be afraid of things that make us uncomfortable. Sin is wicked, sin is vile, sin is wrong. Praise God he rescued us and praise God he wants to rescue them. God help us. Peter falls into a trance, just means he has a vision. He saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners. He sees this linen sheet lowered from this ripped open sky and lowered by these ropes that are lowered down and tethered at the ends of the corners of these things and inside of it was every kind of animal imaginable verse 12 wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air that meant it included pigs and other animals that the law forbade peter from eating things that he would look at and he would cringe and curl away from and think what is that And there came a voice to him that said, Rise, kill, Peter, and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. (laughs) Not so is a very polite way to say what Peter said. Peter said, Certainly not. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Are you high? (laughs) I mean, that's what he's pretty much saying. Lord, are you crazy? I've never touched anything that's common or unclean. Certainly not. He's probably thinking this is a test. Certainly not, Lord. Listen, (laughs) if you tell the Lord you're not gonna do what he said, then he's not really Lord. (laughs) Certainly not, Lord. Peter was used to doing that, wasn't he? I'm going to go. I'm in Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of sinful men. They're going to beat me and crucify me and I'll be slain. I'll rise again. Peter said, oh, he rebuked him. No way, Lord. That's not the plan. Peter reverts to his old form, deciding based on what he thinks and not what God says. And that encourages me because it means Peter's still a work in progress. He's God's not done with him. It means God's not done with me. He says, I'm not going to eat anything. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. The voice spoke unto him again the second time and said, what well, God has cleansed or purified from ritual contamination. I have purified it. Do not call that common. What is God saying? Well, What he's saying is that Gentiles don't have to become Jews before they can receive Jesus. He can purify them right where they are. <laughs> and if this left Peter perplexed, that's what it says here, verse 15. This was done three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. And now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision meant, the word it means to be very confused, perplexed, to not know what to do. And if you think he was perplexed at this point, what about the second or third time? I'm sure the first time Peter probably sat down and thought, lay off the spicy food tonight, Pete. The second time he probably thought, this can't be God. I rebuke that voice. The law is clear, but the third time, oh, Peter had a thing for third times, didn't he? Jesus said, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. Or cock crows, you'll deny me three times. John 21, 17, when Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? It says that when he asked him the third time, do you love me, that Peter was grieved. The third time for any set of instructions from the Lord grabbed Peter's attention like nothing else, reminding him of his tendency to self-reliance and pride. Are you and I still self-reliant? Well, While Peter doubts in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius, they had made inquiry for Simon's house. They stood outside the gate and they called and they asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was, was staying there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men are looking for you. Arise therefore, get up right now and get you down and go with them, doubting nothing. Peter's trying to figure out what this vision meant. He's trying to figure out what God was trying to tell him. And before we think Peter is dull and hard-headed, we must remember his culture. Gentiles sharing the same place as Jews at God's table was off the charts. And so what's Peter gonna do? Well, you know what Peter's going to do. But what are we going to do? This is hardly the first time God has asked one of his servants to do something out of the ordinary. In fact, it was in this very city where the prophet Jonah refused to go to a Gentile city, but took a boat in the opposite direction, Joppa. For Jonah, that wall of hatred never came down, even after he agreed to obey God. What about us? Who is God telling you to reach out to right now, but you're fighting him? Guys, let's go out into the highways and the byways and bring Him in, amen? Lord, we need your supernatural love. We live in crazy times, Lord, but you said that it's going to be like the days of Noah. There's going to be a lot of wickedness. The enemy is going to be rearing his ugly head in ways that it's very clear it's him and yet the world will think it's no big deal. But Lord, our job remains clear. We are to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, We make a choice right now that we want to be obedient to you in that. Lord, we ask you right now that you would give each and every one of us someone to share the gospel with this week. Someone that you'd put in front of us that you would make it clear that we're to share the gospel with them, Lord. And Lord, Lord, we ask that through our boldness, Lord, that you prepare their hearts, that you would prepare them that when we come and we share, that that seed would fall on fertile ground. And Lord, that we might have a part to play in filling up your house. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Just like Peter and Cornelius, God is leading and guiding each of us. Are we listening and willing to follow? This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.
0: strong